Well, hello, good morning QTC. I'm glad of a couple of things this morning. I'm glad to be here. I will say my QTC journey is so old uh, that it isn't here. My memories of QTC are actually over at UQ uh, in... Well, it wasn't as nice as this, okay? You just need to know that. There's, uh, I'm also glad I'm not preaching Hosea. That's fun for me to be in Philippians and being able to choose that. Uh, why don't we pray before we start? Our Heavenly Father, we love that you nourish us through your word. We love that this is good for us. We love that your project working in us, shaping us, uh, redeeming us is underway. And Lord, we thank you for your word, your spirit. We pray that you would do that work now as we look at your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, friends, I want you to pretend with me for a moment. Uh, I want you to picture, picture yourself in a period drama. And I know you do this. You've read a book, you've seen a TV series, and you are, you know, romanticising yourself in a particular time in history uh, where small smallpox and starvation are not major issues, but you transport yourself there. But we're in a Bible college, so I'm going to put a twist on it. You don't just get to choose wherever. Uh, you are going to go and battle against your favourite heresy, okay? So, like this proper nerd thing right now, isn't it? Uh, you're going to be dropped into, you know, you can go early church history if you want. You can trot around North Africa with Augustine if you'd like and do Trinity stuff. Uh, you can hang out with the Gregories and do, you know, whatever. The, oh, look, Andrew Bain's not here so I can like, show how much I've forgotten. What is that? <laughs> You know, homoousius, whatever that is, I don't even remember. You can, you can battle that if you want. Uh, but we all, there's a, there's a part, like, we're doing Reformation. You, you're in Reformation church history at the moment. Like, that's, the, that's where we want to be, right? That could be a place we want to be. Uh, when I say your favourite heresy, like, just to clarify, like, we don't. Like, don't do heretical things, Okay. <laughs> It's interesting to think, when we were there, of course, though, it wasn't as though the heresies were clear and that uh, we just got to dive in and take it on head on. In fact, I think we would find throughout church history, the heresies were far more subtle, they are distortions, uh, things that are twisted, that are true, that you actually just have to deal with, you have to play where they lie. Which brings us to think then that we have heresies in our time, that it's actually historians way down the line when they look back and go, that was a thing that they were dealing with. And I wonder if we don't even actually know that we are pushing against them. Maybe. Here's the thing then, where the church puts its theological sweat is not something we get to determine, we just get it. And it makes us wonder, what is that going to be for us? Now, I'm from the sticks. I'm not going to claim to be on the cutting edge of many things. But I do want to say, after having been out there, I think one of the things that we are going to push against is, it's not the Godhead, it's not who Jesus is. Plenty of room for heresies in that. I actually think it's our temptation to reduce church. I think it's about the body of Christ. That is the thing that is going to... Uh, we're going to continually feel pressure to reduce, to make deficient. I think we've been so shaped by our time and place, 
we have lost sight or we are under the temptation of losing sight what the Bible actually says about defining church, you and me, so basically individualistic and consumerist, we have trouble properly processing what the Bible says about church. I think we wander around in life continually tempted to make our church deficient. We're going to unpack a tiny bit of a letter in the Bible. Letters are written to people. More than that, they are written to churches. And so from this very rich part of Philippians, we're going to get a shape of church, what it looks like. This is good for us to read, to see the collage of the way in which Paul is weaving together the picture for us. It is good for us to see this and be confronted what church is like who we are called to be in church as a church. So let's dive in. Uh, There are the greetings letter from to those things. I'm sure there's sermons, buckets of sermons on those. But let's get to verse 3. Let's see what Paul says to the Philippians. He starts by saying he is thankful. Every time he thinks of this church and prays, he's filled with something. I've prayed for churches before and I've been filled with anxiety, (laughs) grief, dutiful obligation. What is Paul filled with? Every time he thinks of them, he prays, thanking God and making his prayer with joy. Call me dark, but that's a nice surprise, right? I want to know why. I want to wade in and see what it is about this church that fills the man, the apostles' thoughts and prayers with joy. So, what is it? Firstly, it is this phrase that he uses, that they are partners in the gospel. He's filled with joy because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, In our church in Gundawindi, we waged war on the word fellowship. Uh, In a church that was kind of hounded by cultural Christianity, fellowship became lukewarm cup of tea and a dry biscuit that was fellowship but it doesn't get the richness of what is being expressed here that fellowship is actually quinonia partnership is more than that it's a commonness it is a standing shoulder to shoulder with someone with people in something that counts and of course Paul is saying that he is joyful because of their partnership not just in anything but in the gospel this amazing news that has transformed this church. Before we did our Philippians uh, series in Gundy, we actually started in Acts because we wanted to see what happens when the gospel hits Philippi. What happens when it rolls into town? That this gospel actually has power, it has an effect on that community of people. All of the church, we have a Jesus story Uh, I like to compare it to a tyre. When you get a flat tyre on your bike, it's probably got a tube, so you just pump it up again. You get a flat tyre on your car, if it goes so flat, the bead will be broken. That means the the tyre comes away from the rim. And you can pump as much air into that as you like. It'll just rush out again. What you actually need is something explosive. You either need a big gust of air... Or you can use lighter fluid, fill it up and light that and that explosion will get you rolling again. You should YouTube that. It's, it's fun, okay? Humanity is like a tie with a busted bead. We have lots and lots of things that we try and improve ourselves with but we need the explosive power of the gospel, right? We need Jesus to get us rolling, not just a flash in a pan, but it, we need to be set straight and rolling 
Uh, this is why that church in Philippi, they support Paul in his imprisonment, which could be an embarrassment, but they support him in his defence and confirmation of the gospel. They know this is explosive stuff. They're willing to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and continue that partnership. Come what may, where else would they go? So Paul is joyous that these people are collected by the gospel and affected by the gospel. This explosive moment has done something and continues to do something. And that's the next part we read. Paul is also joyful about this church because of what will continue to happen into the future. They have many more miles to go with Jesus. Paul is confident that God is going to do more in them, that that gospel effect will continue. To change the metaphor slightly, not just a tyre, it is like they are rolling along. Their faith is going to snowball. He says in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a good work that Jesus has done and he is going to expand on that all their days. Jesus is not done with us yet. Amen. It's good news. Paul prays for them in verse 9 to 11 and he prays for that snowball effect. Prays that their love would snowball. Prays that their purity and their blamelessness might become more of who they are. Pray that there would be fruit born. Righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus, no less, would continue to be small at first, budding and then produced. All for the glory of God. That's his prayer. Beautiful prayer. Uh, preachers should avoid big words, okay? We should attack big words, big concepts like wingers taking on front row forwards. We should come at an angle, get our head in the right place, and we should do it like that, okay? But I'm going to say, every now and then, you just get squared up with a front row forward, and sometimes you just tackle it. So in Gundawindi, I said, okay, we're going to do a really big word because it's helpful for us. You tackle it head on. We're going to tackle the word eschatological head on and so I, I dared everyone to use it over morning tea they don't listen to me but I, I, I gave it a go but the reason I wanted us to do that is because I want that category for us in terms of growing in terms of looking to the future I wanted us to be able to have a last things hope that our hope our improvement is not just about this era of life it is eschatological uh, I wanted that because we will find lots and lots of things in our society that are for your mind improvement. It is thoroughly normal to talk about those things. And yet, it is all empty because it begin, can be taken away by death. Uh, no matter how motivational the speaker, it can be taken away. And so Paul, his joy is that this group of people actually has a hope that will last to the next life as well. Uh, in terms of us being able to have an eschatological hope, I think it's also important because um, so much of what is around us in our modern world is actually Christian virtues, but they have gone wrong. Uh, I, I love this quote from Chesterton, the modern world is full of old Christian virtues gone mad. The virtues have gone mad because they've been isolated from each other and are wandering alone. It's like that they have all gone dotty. And so we need a hope, not just in this life. Yes, improvement, Jesus will work in you, on you. But it's all for that life. It is for the time when he sums everything up. We can have all of the health, safeguards, positivity, morality we like, but death will take them away. 
But for those of us who are in Christ, we have a joyous confidence that God will do the work, produce love and righteousness in us. Death cannot take away, and indeed it will be there, summed up under Jesus. He's joyous because these are a people affected, collected and affected by the gospel with a grand eschatological hope. Uh, One more thing. In this collage, there is a joy and an affection between them. He says that they are partakers of grace with him. Uh, It is the same word, uh, that same partnership word, a variation of it, that they are standing side by side and participate in grace. Paul describes something that happens when people do that, though. He says that there is a love that grows between them. Uh, Listen how he speaks in verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way, that is joyous and confident, because I hold you in my heart. You are partakers with me of grace. Uh, Sometimes the Jewson family go on uh, adventures and uh, planning is not my, attention to detail is not my strong suit and unfortunately, nor is it my wife's. It is not the first time that we have gone on an adventure with just one water bottle and so, same last name, same germs, that's what we've got to do, right? All for one, one for all, except for the two-year-old. He gets the tip in quick, he doesn't get it. Uh, what are we? We are partakers of the same bottle and it levels us. More than that, it actually binds us, isn't it? If Jesus looks at us in love, in grace, then it follows that we do the same with each other. If I've received grace, far be it for me to withhold it from you. We become family. We stick together, we drink from the same cup. Paul says, I have you in a heart, in my heart, which, which is... You know, we get that metaphor, we get that picture. Heart is, we go, that's something to do with love in our culture as well. But I love how he also then, again, expresses it in such an ancient, foreign, disquieting way in verse 8. God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, affection, affect, you know, in, the, in the language, it is my guts, uh, this part, uh, that my affection is down here. I feel like... It's splatna, it's my favourite Greek word, okay? Uh, He yearns with them with a love, yes, joined by heart, but he's saying the emotion, the connection is also here. I love you with all my guts. There's a Valentine's Day card, (laughs) mark it in that, right? These are a people collected, affected by the gospel with a grand eschatological hope and a gut-level love for each other. We want to think about church. That's what it is, right? Uh, that's why they are filled with church, why he's filled with joy because they are a church. Uh, I wonder if part of our problem with church sometimes is there is nothing quite in our realm of experience like it. What Jesus calls us to, what Paul joyously describes here, is a thing all of its own, and so it should be. We shouldn't go, oh, well, church is exactly like that. Would be that would be to underplay, undersell church. Uh, I want to try and describe what church is using those pictures Paul's painted here. Uh, I want to use a Venn diagram, which I realise when you don't have a picture, doesn't work, but look, you've got imaginations, and so if you know what a Venn diagram is, you're winning. Uh, it's, it's three maybe quite unrelated, three or more unrelated concepts, but in the middle there's a part that, where they overlap, and so I want to use three pictures. They have a husk that we need to get rid of. It doesn't fit church. But there's a kernel of our experience 
that will help us understand those things, bringing it together. I can give you like funny Venn diagram, like ask me over morning tea and you can enjoy that as well. Man, so much material for you to scroll through from this sermon. Uh, Jesus calls us to a kingdom in a time in history and it is grand. We, we, we sung of something of that grandeur, right, of being swept up and called into a story that is vastly beyond us. We get to participate in that. Uh, I want to say my first picture then uh, for us is church is a little bit like being on a not-for-profit committee, which I know describing church as a committee. Like, surely that's not right. But I want to tell you, uh, I've been on some not-for-profit committees. That's what you do in midlife. Everyone thinks you, you know, have an affair or buy a car. You don't. You just find yourself on committees. That's somehow what you do. I don't know why. (laughs) And for all of the pain that that is... I want to say there is something really beautiful. I've been the president of the Gundawindi Junior Rugby League Club for three years. I want to say when we knit together as a bunch of people who do not need to be there and we get the first kick-off going for the year, there is something truly beautiful in the way I've worked with my duly appointed, voted-on secretary, vice president and treasurer. There is something beautiful about being swept up in something beyond us. Get rid of the husk, the boring part of committee, but keep the kernel. We do not need to be here and yet we are swept up into something beyond us. That's church. That's the kernel of church. Uh, Jesus also calls us to great cost, though, as well, an investment of who we are. Uh, It will cost us and... I'm going to go, the second one then is like a business venture. If I said, okay, everyone, we're going to pool our resources and we're going to put an ice skating rink in Gundawindi, okay? So you're going to sell whatever you have, your life savings, uh, you're going to sell your Corolla because someone's got a Corolla, don't they? You're going to sell that and you're going to pool those resources and we're going to invest together. We're going to become business partners in Gundawindi. I'll tell you now, if you do that, no matter how much money put you put in there, you're going to be checking the temperatures of Gundawindi. You're going to make sure I'm doing some sort of marketing thing out there. You're going to be interested. And while it's crass to talk about finances being the thing that makes us interested, uh, that might be the husk. There is something of working together for something that costs us in church life. That's what it is. We participate at that level, and this one literally has eternal consequences. Uh, one last picture, and I want to say, I've, it's, it's a Bible picture, uh, is we are called to be a family. Uh, you know, Jesus says, I lay down my life for you, I wash your feet, do the same for each other, forgive, be honest. Uh, it's something about our own family units that is actually small compared with the love we are meant to have for each other. So overlapping pictures, strange committee, uh, invested, and a family love for each other. There is something about the immensity of loving your church family that dwarfs even your own nuclear family. And so this thing of church is something else, isn't it? Uh, I want to say the husk of family is that uh, we do have an eschatological hope. If I said I've got a grand goal for my family uh, that we're going to end world hunger, you would say, Brad, that's like just teach your kids to ride bikes. Don't, you know. And so we are meant to love like that, though. This thing called church, these people 
us, collected, affected by the gospel, grand eschatological hope, a gut-level love for each other, overlapping together. Uh, You would say, Brad, this has been hard work. Uh, Yeah, sure, it probably has been. But I want to also say, if we are to understand the heresies, the way in which uh, the biblical view of things is faded, distorted in our time, I think it will be hard work. Uh, I think I want to encourage you to indeed do the hard work of looking at the Bible and seeing the way in which God knits together his people, the way in which he invites you to invest and live and uh, be together to love. I invite you to understand the nuance of that and tackle that. I think every, every uh, we want a slogan, we want something that's simple, but it's not. Uh, I also want you to be imaginative, uh, not imaginative as in you've got to come up with a new way of doing church, but imaginative going, I am and I exist in a people that are consumeristic, individualistic. How do we actually cut against that in a way in which we join together, invest together, love together? Uh, I want to pray for you that indeed we'd be able to do that and all over Queensland, Australia, the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we indeed thank you for the way in which we are called, called to be followers of Jesus, uh, the way in which that affects us individualistically, that is good and right. But Lord, it also affects us in the way we relate to each other. I pray please, Lord, for us that we would be in churches that induce joy, uh, that we would be a part of churches that indeed shoulder to shoulder partner together, that champion and live and uh, enjoy the gospel. And Lord, indeed, uh, churches that love each other like family. Please, would you be doing that work in us? In your name. Amen. This recording of QTC Chapel is made possible with the support of our generous financial partners. If you have found this podcast helpful and encouraging, would you please consider partnering with us? For details on how to do this, visit www.qtc.edu.au and click on Support QTC.